Hello and welcome to another edition of the C-Squared Podcast. Your host, Curtis, and my co-host, Aliyah. And we are here once again with Mr. Ian Blurton. Uh, he was on the podcast, oh, I think it was about a year ago with me and Corey when we first started this podcast. Uh, anyways, he's back again today. He just released a new album uh, via, via seeing, seeing Red Records. I almost called it the wrong freaking label. Uh, <laughs> but via Seeing Red Records, and I believe it was also via his own label uh, yes. as well cool uh anyways he's got a vinyl edition coming out of that uh now i think the final's out i know the digital yep, came out last week yeah perfect 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 or at so, least in canada sorry yeah in canada perfect so uh and with that we are going to talk to him about his career again probably we're going to talk to him about production we're going to talk about the new album of course but to start it all off uh thank you ian for showing up thanks and for having me you're very welcome Great to be here and to start it all off i'm going to hand it over to Aaliyah for question number one. Um, so, hey. Um, hey. <laughs> so you have your hands in many pies, as we like to say. And I just, what do you think is like your main focus right now? Um, uh, well, I mean, obviously, because the record just came out, I guess that's my main focus. Right. Um, but generally I like to keep things moving around so that I, I stay interested in everything. And as, as long as it doesn't get out of control or anything, but, uh, uh, I, I do enjoy that, like moving around and not just doing one thing, you know? Yeah. And I know I, I was just listening to an interview you did and you made like a passing comment, like how can a musician make a living just being a musician? Um, which, yeah, it's definitely something people, a lot of people struggle with. But. Yeah, I mean, and people do it. And uh, it's amazing that they can do it and be away from home that much. And, you know, it's a real commitment. And uh, I, I, I mean, more power to those people. But I don't know if I could possibly do that now, you know. Yeah, so you actually um, do a lot of production, like Curtis said, um, you do, you're a producer, you're an engineer, and you do a lot of other things. So um, talk us through a little bit of what that's what that's like. I know you did talk about it on the last podcast as well, mm -hmm. but just for people who maybe didn't catch that one. Right. Um, well, I mean, with me personally, I uh, I try and approach each project sort of as uh, as its own entity, so that the I guess as a producer, I think that sort of my job is to make sure that the band sounds like the band, and um, <clears throat> and you know, other people have different approaches, but. Uh, so I guess I have to I, I have to kind of learn the band and understand hopefully understand what they want and how to achieve that you know as the as the final thing I guess that's that's my main job. Yeah, and I noticed that you do um, cover a lot of genres. Like, mm -hmm. so I think that step is probably really important. You can't just apply a formula to. Everybody's no, out. no, no, no. It's, and, and that's what sort of makes it interesting, especially, you know, say I do like an insanely heavy record to be able to come out of that and do something like quieter and lighter is actually really great. Because if I, I mean, I know there's people who do like death metal, like just straight up death metal. And like, that's, uh, I, you know, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it does seem like I feel, I feel like when I've looked into producers, they do tend to at least in the metal world, they tend to stick with specific mm -hmm. subgenres, at least most of the time. And I'm not sure if that's a personal choice or it's just you started somewhere and those are the bands that find you and then it just happens that way. But well, I think like, a lot of that is like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. If, 
No, go um, ahead. Um, like a like a lot of those um genre, like the subgenres are very specific too. So the knowledge that you need to have to do that properly is like probably takes a little bit more time than throwing up a couple of microphones and recording a folk record. Not that uh, you know, you know, it's still hard to do that too. But like just specific like you know, death metal has a certain kind of drum sound and, you know, for example, and bass sound or whatever. And just to know exactly how to get that when a band wants that, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing. For sure. I, I wanted to jump in with a quick follow-up. So let's say, because, uh, okay, so let's say the band doesn't really know where they want to go with their sound. What would you do in order to help them figure it out? I would, you know, gently push them into a direction that I think would, you know, suit what they want to do. Um, you know, a lot of the time it's tones actually, you know, like guitar sounds, for example. And so we have a lot of amps at the studio. So it's like you can go through the amps and like find something that the person likes and also suits the music, you know, just little things like that, you know, like the kind of drum kit that you use, that kind of thing, you know. Fair enough. Um, so actually, I'll let Leah follow up. Well, just quickly, or however expansive you want to make this answer, but um, when a band goes to seek out a producer for their album, first of all, do you think that most bands should do that? What's the benefit to it? And what do they need to be prepared to maybe compromise on mm. in order to get the best result from that right. collaboration? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I guess, you know, you have to, you should decide what kind of record you want to make first as a band. That would probably be the most important thing. And then seek out somebody who's, you know, with lines up with that and is willing to do it for, a, you know, a pri price that's probably, you know, I'm especially for a new band, it's got to be somebody who you can afford, right? Um, so, um, I would look for, you know, like, you know, look at the production of bands of records that you really like and seek out that person. You know, a lot of people are now just recording in one place and then sending it somewhere else to get mixed and sort of spending the money on the mix. And there's a lot of really great mixers out there to, that can elevate a record, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, do you feel that that takes the place of a producer or do you feel like it would be better to maybe get a more affordable mixing engineer and have a producer yeah i don't I, yeah that's a tough question because like i'm i'm like a song oriented producer like i'll actually get in there and like you know like basically take the songs apart and rearrange them and see if it fits better in you know a different order and that kind of stuff so um it depends on if you want to go that far and and obviously i like when i when i like when i talk to bands you know you we outline what we're going to do it's like so if they want that treatment then we're going to go that that way and i'm going to be like you know this part is not good let's rewrite it you know um but if they don't want that then you have to kind of you know for me i because i do a lot of different things i just have to kind of adjust to the situation you know i, I have a dumb question and i'm not musician trained or anything like that i've never played an <laughs> instrument or anything like that so forgive me if this is completely stupid and off off the rails again uh but okay so like how how did you kind of like figure out that you kind of knew what you were doing in that area? Like to be able to like dissect it, like what people want to hear, because you, you seem like you're good at it because pretty much most like you, you're, you got a good reputation. You can do it yourself, but like, how did you kind of figure out that you 
we're able to do that for other people, if that makes sense. Uh, I think just from writing songs and then also seeing like the kind of flaws that I had made in my writing in other people's right, you know, writing as well and knowing after not being able to figure out why this part wasn't working with this part and then knowing that, I guess, and being able to say like, you know, if you tried this, this might work better. So it's um, trial and error. Trial and error. And uh, I, I honestly, I go on instinct. It's like if, if the part doesn't feel right, it just doesn't feel right. And, you know, that's also suggest to the band that we try something else, you know. So and then again, pardon if this is also a stupid question, because those again, aren't stupid, I, by the way, that was no, okay. no, not at all. So then how much music did you actually have to listen to outside of obviously your own to be able to kind of get that ear? Oh, I've been pretty obsessive since I was like about six. So, okay. Yeah. Like, uh, music is always, I start, I think I started playing around eight. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've, yeah, music's pretty much always been there. So, um, and I listen to a wide, wide variety of music. Uh, so hopefully I can just tap into like little things from all the different types of music I listen to. That's actually what I wanted to ask you is like how, how much, how like varied do you have to be, do you think to be good at the type of thing that you think different things that you do, like the producer, engineer, songwriter, all the rest of that. Hmm. That's a tough question. Fair. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, actually, I don't know. Like, cause everyone's different. And like, I know people who, can't play music at all who are great you know uh, arrangers and stuff and or like have great ideas about arranging so i think everyone's different and some of the you know some of the greatest engineers of all time don't play music at all you know and it's Fair enough you know um i think everyone's different for me it's like i've just always been obsessed by music and not i've never taken like lessons per se but uh, i've definitely like studied you know how music is put together so actually i was gonna i was gonna ask you that too but i'll let Aaliyah go back in because I'm like now jumping the gun here. Well, that's okay. I think it's something that I've been wanting to ask somebody who has the knowledge set. Um, Not that I have like, yet, but like that, like similar to what you have, don't deny it. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you think? I mean, it's obviously kind of a nebulous magical thing. But what do you think are the elements that make a song or an album great, as opposed to mediocre Whew. wow that's uh i mean i know all, it's a, a huge question but yeah like, i mean all the records that i i've i i've worked on that i've uh, just been blown away by uh it's always been the band it's always been like the band is at a peak they're on fire they're they've written their best batch of songs um they're getting along really well everyone's having a really good time um there's not a lot of stress about ideas and just people are throwing things out and like if it doesn't work it doesn't work and uh if it does work it's awesome and yeah i just i like very relaxed sessions make great can make great records you know what about when the band isn't getting along but they still do well i've also seen really good results from that so i don't I, you know it's a little that that's a little bit more rare i would say Fair <laughs> So actually just one more follow-up, Elliot. So how, okay. So you would say that most of the time, if a band is going to do a good record, they have to be uh, in good harmony. Then it's very rare to have like the I Motley Crue situation. 
Yeah, I would say so. But, you know, I like I said, like I do know a couple of bands that, you know, it's, it, you know, they just, they don't not get along, but they definitely butt heads and they make great music and, uh, you know. Yeah, I was just wondering because we had, uh, well, I did. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't think Aaliyah did an interview with them, but um, we did an interview with uh, Doug Pinnock of King's X at one, oh, wow. one point. Yeah, and he was saying that him and Ty would always be like this. Right. But all, but all their albums are great, so that's why I was kind of wondering, like, right. is that normal or not? Well, that can, you know, that can spark a creative thing too, right? If it's not like, you know, really deep-seated hatred for each other or something. Obviously, those two guys love each other in some respect because of how look at how long they've been together, you know, as a band. Like, holy crap. You know? Anyways, just curious on that. I'll let you go, Leah. Yeah. Um, crap, I lost it. What I wanted to ask was, um, yes, sorry. Um, when... So let's say a band, this is like the last production question for now. We can move on to another topic no, after, but let's say a band can't afford to hire a producer, but they want to kind of take a like a surgical knife to their songs and actually do that editing process. Do you have any tips for people on how to edit their own music? Um, I mean, I just usually when I'm editing, I well, I throw it into logic. So you could just throw it into anything that you can actually edit and then cut the sections apart and then just move them around and see. Um, it's a lot easier doing it that way than trying to make the band like, you know, like what you want this part after that part? How are we going to do that kind of thing where you can just cut and paste? Like a whole mix down of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, like get somebody to do a demo of the song, no matter, you know, it doesn't matter the quality. And then uh, usually they just send it to me and then I cut it and I'm like, maybe this might work, you know? Nice. Obviously, that's been happening a lot. Like normally, I would be in the room, but that's been happening a lot more just because you know what's been going on in the last couple of years. I have another dumb question. Does that not get really fucking boring, or am I mental? Uh, what arranging songs? Yeah, like I would think all the cutting, pasting, and like having to go like, does it not it's get pretty boring? much my job? There's a lot of cutting and pasting going on. There's a lot of like data. How, entry like type. how I I couldn't do that, but I mean like. Yeah. That's why I try. I actually try and make the whole process as simple as possible for that very reason. So, like, I don't spend a lot of time because I engineer a lot of my own records. So, like, I sort of want to set up and just be done with that part of it and be able to focus on the band, you know? So, what's the simplified version of how you do it then, if I may ask, without. Well, some being... people might like make, you know, you know, pages and pages of takes and then compile them later. And I'm like more like, I want to take of the band. If it's this kind of record, I want to take of the band playing the song as best they can from beginning to end, and then we'll fix little things. You know, that's oh, that's, I see. Yeah, that's like to me, that's really exciting, and that you don't hear that a lot in music anymore. So, it, like, it makes the record sound more interesting. So, actually, I'll let Leah go because I know I interrupted her question. I'll go after. Oh, you did not interrupt the question, and it was Sorry. a perfectly good question. I don't know. You're fine. Cool. It was very. It's it's really interesting to hear about the process. Um, I, I've personally never heard about the process like that. So, um, Curtis, I'm going to move into a different topic. Did you want to ask something else about this topic? No, because I'm not that knowledgeable in this area anyways, and I'll probably just end up going like at some point. No, so no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. Let's go to the next. Let's go on the next one. All right. Let's talk about your new album that just okay. came out and um tell me a little bit about how 
the process was making the album and releasing the album. Okay. Um, there's like a, there's a museum in Calgary. It's a museum recording well, multiple studios. It's called the National Music Center and um, Bell Studio Bell. And it's a, a, a Canadian music museum on one side. And then on the other side, it's a bunch of studios. And they bought the Rolling Stones mobile. I don't know if you, either of you know what that is. It's like the Rolling Stones had this mobile studio so they could go anywhere and record in like houses and things like that. And so they ended up with this thing and they have an artist in residence program. So we applied and they gave us four days to record on the Rolling Stones mobile. Um, and so we went there and did the beds and, uh, um, part of the process is that you get to choose from their collection of instruments. And so I, I used a Mellotron a lot on the record. So the record's a little bit more proggy because there's Mellotron on it. Um, and, uh, then we brought the tapes back to Toronto and sort of like worked on them for a year. And then a friend of mine, Daryl Smith mixed the record. Tell me a little bit about the artwork. It's re really interesting and very detailed. Oh, it's <laughs> detailed is one way of putting it. Uh, it's Jeremy, my buddy, Jeremy. Um, uh, and it's like, he took like all the, uh, like he did basically I sent him choice lyrics, whatever from the record and he incorporated the lyrics. So like everything you're looking at on the cover is actually the lyrics of the record. So, I love it when bands do that. Yeah, it's like I was like, I want to cover the sort of like Captain Fantastic and uh, there you go. Yeah, he's incredible. The whole team, the, the whole uh, everyone who worked on the art was just fantastic. Um, I have a quick question just about it. So um, is this the same guy that did the art for the previous? No, it's not actually. The, but the okay. guy who did the art for the previous did the layout of this one. Oh, it makes sense. Okay, because I was going to say it looks different, but I was curious about that. Anyways, that was my question. Um, what was um, what was your promo cycle like? And did you have any advice for, you know, since we're a music marketing podcast primarily, any advice for our listeners that you learned from this uh, promo cycle? Uh, it's sort of ongoing right now, so I don't know if I've learned anything yet, but um, it's just... Uh, I find a very interesting time with so many records coming out. It's like, wow, just wild. Like, and uh, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day and just the amount of bands that are on the road right now too. It's just like, wow. It's like, um, I mean, I understand why everyone wants to get out there and, you know, for, for whatever reason. And, but it's just like, wow, it's, it's really something. No words for it. Just wow. Yeah. Just wow. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so many, like, it just seems like the amount of records that come out every week is just steamrolling, like crazy. It is pretty it's just Maybe it's just me. I don't know how you two feel about that, but. Definitely. As a consumer, I like it. As a PR professional, I hate it because it's, yeah. you're, you're vying with everyone else for attention, right? But Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it depends, right? Because like, what what was it last week? It was Megadeth, Striper, Queensryche, and Ozzy all released in the same 24 hours. So it's like. Right battles lost for a new band at that point and i yeah. think you released that day didn't you i think i did actually I fuck so. i would not have wanted to be in your your, your position at that point because I, I mean nobody fucking knew nobody fucking right. knew right. nobody fucking knew but that's my opinion well no you can never predict things like that so oh no and like you know somebody might rush release a record on your day anyways you know like last minute or whatever yeah the royalty can do that yeah um 
one thing I did want to ask Ian just about uh, what would you give for advice for people that are looking to get uh, maximal uh, publicity for their efforts? Because I know before you were working with me or even with Ear, or with EarSplit, I, I think at least you were mainly doing it on your own, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes, yeah so as a do-it-yourself type thing is what I mean. I uh, just, um, I don't know, try and engage people as much as possible. Like I've always felt that way anyways, like even at shows, like when I... I, I do merch. I sit at the merch table. I talk to people and uh, I feel like that's just sort of an extension of that anyways, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Like I've always thought the wall between the, you know, band and the audience is like, should not really be there. I guess it's like the band, you know, the time period I came up like in the early eighties, there was like, you know, all the bands that were like mind blowing were like playing in small clubs. So it was just like, you know, there was no barrier. And, and to me, I, I guess I feel still feel that way. Oh, let's talk about this for a second. If Aliyah is okay with that. Yeah. I'd love to talk about this. So let, let, let's talk about this for a second. Okay. So you think the wall should totally be broken at all times. You don't think there should ever be a separation. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. Like, I wouldn't want them to, you know, come into my room while I'm sleeping or something. Well, no, but okay, like, people DMing you, people, like, getting a random phone call, like, that type of stuff. Like, how, uh, how far the phone is too call far? Maybe, the phone call might be a little bit weird, but uh, just because I probably won't answer it anyways, too. Fair. But, um, Fair. Yeah, like, I answer, you know, I, I you know, t to a certain degree, I answer DMs and, you know, stuff like that. and you know, talk to people, people ask me for special order things to do with their orders. And I, you know, I do it, you know, because so I'm how, selling them a record, right? So how far is too far then? Just a phone call or what? In the room? I would think a phone call would be pretty creepy. Unless cool. it was a really nice phone call. I have your phone number. So I'm going to start calling you at 2am now. <laughs> I'm kidding. I I'm think that the reason there is some of this wall though, is that people don't know how to express boundaries. And yeah. so what they end up doing is pushing everyone away because a few people don't understand boundaries mm -hmm. and they don't know how to assert them clearly or kindly. Because a lot of times if people, you know, you hear stories all the time, like, oh, I met so-and-so and they were an asshole. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe they had a bad day. You don't know, but yeah. they probably got fed up because a lot of people have taken advantage of them or something. So I don't know, you have to find a balance and you have to learn how to communicate. And maybe if you know you're going to snap at people, then you shouldn't be interacting with people. Mm -hmm. So to extend on this, so have you ever had like, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the movie and book Misery. Have you ever had a misery type mo uh, moment with anyone? Is that like... Uh, That's the Stephen King where the woman goes out. Is the biggest Bates? fan of the author. Yeah, Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. Yeah. Um, not quite like that. I did have not, it was, I wouldn't call it a stalker, but somebody who, uh, uh, communicated with me a lot. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> just and it, it didn't way. necessarily go both ways. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not trying to victim blame or anything because oh. truly there are some people that don't have boundaries yeah oh yeah yeah you don't yeah, respect yeah. people's time or space yeah yeah a hundred percent and i i i don't know maybe it's you know uh i don't know why but i don't get people like that and That's now good. that i've said that i'm gonna have people like that for the rest of my career um, you're welcome ian there you yeah. go you're very welcome but, you know yeah like i'm i know a lot of my fans in canada just from touring for so long and uh I don't know. I just feel like it's really, it's pretty community, community oriented in Canada because it's so small, you know? 
Also, no one has guns up here, so that's kind of a bonus. This too. is also another uh, yes. That's Although a bonus. People have guns. People have guns. Very harder to get though. Harder to get. Harder to get. Harder to get. Um, but anyway, so I have another question on a different topic. If Aliyah is okay with switching topics. Um. Yeah, I do. I also just want to say that I do think that um, that connecting with your fans is super important. I agree, obviously. I just didn't want to sound too contrarian. I'm a devil's advocate. No, 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 no. Like, uh, I think it's super important. And the bands that I like most are the ones that have done that and gone the extra mile to connect with right. your fans. Yeah, I had like a couple of unique experiences. Well, unique for me, like where I saw people be so open uh, with their fan base that it just really made me, it inspired me. Like Tesco V, from, I played a show with the Meat Men in like, I don't know, 86 or something. And he did every single interview uh, of every zine that came out and he talked to everyone. And it was just like standing there in awe going like, wow, like this is, this is great. And I love, I mean, I love him anyways, but and you know the Husker Du, same thing. When I saw Husker Du, they were outside, standing by the van, talking to fans. You know, it was like, yeah, yeah. I th I think that's the way to do it in most of the cases. I mean, it depends because sometimes you want that mystique, but other times, yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's yeah. Things, I, I, yeah. I think also just you know like the you know change part was sort of like. A, not anti that but like uh, we made fun of that a lot and yeah i think that's where that came from and, and in fact i have a video of we were opening for the hip in the montreal forum and the our drummer was like up in the stands and the whole audience was running in and i ran in with them nice. uh, sort of as a joke like any videotape me and um the manager from the hip came out on the floor put his arm around me and walked me off the floor like <laughs> you shouldn't be out here that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. At the Montreal Forum, I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. Out of curiosity, if you're willing to say, Aaliyah probably knows nothing about the Tragically Hip, uh, but were were they kind of like that, or were they? did they have the mystique type thing going? They were just the nicest human beings ever, really? and uh, they treated... I, I, I can only speak from our experience, but I've never had a band treat me that way ever. It's just like... I mean, sorry, a big band like that treat me that way ever. It's just like fantastic, yeah. You know, and they would like give you their bus to sleep on at night, that kind of stuff, you know. Like, oh, wow. And you were, and, and you guys toured with them right at their height, I think, too. Yeah, we did you? three tours with them, actually. Uh, yeah. I think one of them was supposedly one of the biggest tours in Canada, like sales wise. But yeah, I like how you I like how you just like kind of just say it nonchalantly. Like, eh, well, it wasn't my sales wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, yeah. we, pl we played we played a 20,000 seater and there was like literally 1500 people in that place. It was like, that was amazing. It was like empty. It was like, <laughs> you're just, you're just it, sitting there. You've Nobody seen an there. empty club, like think of a hockey arena completely empty and you're just playing going like, oh man. Rough. Actually, let's talk about that for a second. How often did that happen on that on those tours? That, that happened a couple of times, at least on well, on the because we did a hockey arena tour in uh, like a February March hockey arena tour. Yeah, and that happened probably four or five times on that tour. Like the tour, the shows where there was general admission on the floors, those were like insane. Sure. But uh, when they were seated, it was not good. And. One more question on that. Leah, I'm sorry if this is boring you, but this is, but tragically hip, we're huge up here. Um, so um, last question I had on that. Uh, Curtis, you might want to jostle your microphone. Can you hear me now? 
Yeah, it's a little static. Cool. Uh, I'm going to have to not use this microphone anymore. But anyways, my, my last question on that was just, when you book a tour like that with a big band, like the Tragically Hip, was it like a buy-on type thing or did they No, ask no, you? no, no. They're the opposite of a buy-on band. The, like sure. they, they pay you way too much money. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, that's paid good. Us, they paid us a lot more than we were worth. Let's put it that way. They sound like they are very good human beings then. Okay. Really I, great. Really. I have nothing but, I mean, you know, yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about them. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm done talking about the tragically hip. Uh, now I've forgotten <laughs> what the next question was. I was going to ask. topic that you wanted to ask. I did. And I've totally lost my train of thought because I started asking about that. So I'll let you change the topic, Aaliyah. Well, why don't we talk? Um, like, can I just ask you one more question about that? Um, what is your preferred um, sort of style of show to play? Do you prefer playing like a small intimate club? Do you like, do you like both? Well, I like, a, I like the venue to, well, actually I like, I, well, I like playing, um, but I think there's, I, like to play. I think just at past a certain size, it gets a little weird, you know, especially with fast music. Like that was the one thing that I, uh, if, if there's any fast bands who get a big tour like that, um, make sure that you're not playing too fast because holy crap, that can just turn into like a wall of mud, like so fast. And that happened with us quite a bit. Like it was just like, people would be like, wow, you can't understand anything that's going on. So one, okay. So one more question I just had now on this, sorry, Aaliyah, now I keep, now I keep dragging this back into the same Where topic here. Stop apologizing. We're Canadian. The both of us are like, if, like, what do you expect here? Like, um, anyways, I expect you to at least enhance the Canadian accent when you say sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to lose my train of thought again. So, um, so you don't really tour anymore. So, but like, let's say that you got an offer to do a tour for a big band. Do you think it would be worth it at this stage in your career? to do that oh, in the future would, now. I, yeah, I would do it for sure. And uh, um, I mean, I'm hoping to tour next year actually. So, oh yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I would do that for sure. It would be really fun. Um, it's been such a long time since I've done anything like that, you know? Um, what what would make it worth it though? Because I mean, you got you got a job job in Toronto. You know, you got your producer stuff. You got, you got like, what would it actually take to make it worth your while to do that though? Well, if it was a fun tour and like the money was all right and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, um, yeah. And you know, I don't know. Uh, I guess those are the main things. I mean, the money is obviously, you know, yeah. I know, and I know the world's changed and there is a lot of buying on and that kind of stuff these days and, yeah. uh, uh, prepackaged tours and stuff. Um, you know, that's the one thing I actually just as an aside is like that, that local opener, is seems to be a dying thing it's like a, it's very strange yeah um in the in the way it's come back you know it's like i see a lot of packages to where it's like there's no room for the local opener which is kind of a bummer yeah and maybe i'm wrong about that but that's just seems like what i'm you know seems no like. it's it's totally it's totally the case um you got have you guys done many of the, you guys i know you did lucifer at one point did yeah you guys we did lucifer on the last record we opened for like grant Brant Bjork, That's uh, right. Fear to Drift, uh, Lucifer, and I can't remember. All. I think that was it. 
So is that is it worth it for you to do those types of things? Because like I know you told me before that you can do pretty well when you just do a show headlining. So is that worth it when you do like an opening slot for one of those types of events? Oh yeah, well like a Brant Bjork show is like he doesn't come here that often anymore. So that's that's you know that's like a there was a lot of great people out that night. Like the place was rammed and. Then, it was with the static vision too. So it was like the whole night was, uh, I think people were just there for the whole night and were ready to go, you know? Um, so yeah, you can't, I, I would not complain about, you know, 500 people out in a club. So you still get, you still get the people showing up for you guys, even though there's a headliner coming on. Yeah, actually it seemed like that show, there was quite a few people when we went on. So. Cool. No, I was just curious how it was. Cause I like, I mean, you're, you're you can you do your own you can do your own headlining. So I was like, well, how does it work when he's the opener? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I always think that like, if you're opening for another band, especially if they're a little off center from where you are, then, you know, you can tap into their audience a little bit, hopefully, you know, um, what, do you, what is, what is, what do you, what is your audience? Do you think out of curiosity? It's pretty wide, actually. It's a lot it of, dudes. it's a lot of dudes. That's for sure. Um, just like we've been sending out records and it's like, Oh my God, so many dudes ordered records. Um, <laughs> It's pretty wide though, which is nice. Um, uh, you know, I, I like to be inclusive with, for anyone who wants to be into the band. Like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, Aaliyah, did you have anything else? I did want to quickly ask if you have any, um, what is it, how do, like, how do bands get started at getting asked to open on tours do you have to be on a label do you have to be signed with a booking company how do bands get started there yeah I, I think that's just um i mean we got you know we generally get shows because i don't know maybe because we did a good show the last time or whatever and we weren't you know too much pain in the ass to deal with um uh but you know like i i this kind of strong feel about the scene thing is like you know just like lifting each other up if one band if one band starts taking off then you know that band should be like hopefully lifting another band up with them um and that's that's one thing that you know a lot of my favorite bands um do you know um take out great bands and make it a good show which is also you know again it makes it for a good show for uh the audience oh yeah um, what do you think about that? I've heard some people try to book opening bands that make them look better because oh. they're not as good. Yeah, we, I, I think there's the one certain band that I, I'm not going to name them, but like, oh my God, every time I've seen them, it's just like, oh my God, the worst opening bands. Yeah, I feel like you it's want intentional. to make the whole experience better for people, so pick bands that are good. Mm-hmm. The best example of that I ever saw was uh, the Sex Pistols. The two opening bands were like the worst possible choices for the show. And then right before they went on, they just played top, like top, worst top 40 music from like 1976 from the time of the really bad last band all the way to they went on. And it was like, oh my God, they're just like, ah, it was great. Yikes. Yeah, I felt sorry for the, the openers actually. That's hilarious. Um, so before we wrap up, Aliyah, were you going to say something? Go ahead. Okay, I was going to say bef before we wrap up, Ian, is there anything that we did not touch on that we should have touched on? But uh, just playing a show August thirteenth at the Horseshoe. I don't think we mentioned that in nope. Toronto with Sam Coffee and the Iron Lungs and Sick Things from Montreal, who I absolutely love. 
Cool. And then uh, the album can be ordered directly from you and from Seeing Red Records, correct? Yeah, Ian Blurton at Bandcamp or Seeing Red Records at Bandcamp. And cool. definitely take a look at those sweet, sweet vinyls. There are some really pretty vinyl going on there. So definitely everyone take a look at that if you're into that collecting vinyl. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the Thanks role. for having me. Great yeah. talking with both of you. And you as well. And everyone listening until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up.